Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I'm so excited to have you back listening to another episode of Fearlessly Authentic. The reason I started this podcast was because I was always afraid to take risks. And it has taken a lot, and I still get scared a lot, but to really try to live every day fearlessly authentic. And hopefully between me and my guests, we could educate you, entertain you, empower you, and hopefully you can inspire others so they can live a fearlessly authentic life. Because in my opinion, like that's what we're here to do, right? And so if we're not, and my guess is we're going to get into like deep, deep stuff here about relationships and and understanding ourselves better with my guest, who I'm going to introduce right now, Lisa A. Romano. Thank you so, so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I love what you're doing. Thank you. It has been um, my sister. My mom passed away at the end of December, actually the day after my birthday. So I have two sisters. One is December 3rd. I'm the 27th. And my other sister is January 14th. So we're right. So we said my parents had sex three times and it was like anniversary, birthday, birthday. (laughs) That's how we all figured it out. But when we were younger anyway, um, So we knew she was in hospice right after Thanksgiving. We knew she was going to pass away around our birthday. Something was going to happen. I'm the oldest. It was the day after my birthday. I think she did it that way because she knew I could handle it the best. So my sister, my younger sister, uh, introduced your podcast to me um, because there were so many questions we always wanted to have answered about in growing up. And I think maybe we felt like we couldn't ask or think about those things. Our parents, my dad passed away in 2010, um, like really digging deep as to how we grew up and so on and so forth. So I would like for you to introduce yourself as I just rambled on here about what you do about your podcast and so on. So my name is Lisa Romano, like you said, and I am essentially a recovery coach for victims or actually survivors of narcissistic abuse and adult children of alcoholics and those who are recovering from the need to seek approval to be themselves. So these are also known as codependents. And sometimes we're put off by the term codependent until you start digging into it and realize it has to do with being afraid to be yourself and needing to try to figure out how to be what everyone else needs you to be to avoid abandonment and possibly to secure an attachment. And in my own life, what I realized, um, I was married to someone who, in my opinion, was a covert narcissist. And I recognized therapy that I was highly codependent. And through the therapy also recognized my family history. Therapy gave me the, finally, after five therapists, I got the permission to link my childhood to my adulthood. Up until that point, no therapist had ever said, well, tell me about your childhood. Did you feel seen? Did you feel validated? I was like, what? What's that? You know, I'm going through that right now. And I think it's because I feel that I can since my both of my parents are gone. That's very common. My clients say that, oh, I never wanted to say that out loud while my parents were alive. Wow. You know? I, ne- I never knew that. I, I just, yeah. and my youngest sister and I ha- are like, and that's how you came into my life. And I just love how open you are. So, and the name of your podcast is Breakdown to Breakthrough, which I love that because do you feel that you need to break down who you are or is it, are you, are you talking about, I'm getting specific here, having a breakdown and, and being aware of who you are until you can have that breakthrough? Well, people are born unaware. We're all born literally in a sleep state. That's why babies sleep so much. They're actually in a dream state. And we transition very slowly into a theta brainwave state, which is a hypnotic brainwave state. Up until the age of seven, we're in a theta brainwave state. That's a programmable state. So our parents were our hypnotists. We're in a hypnotic, literally a hypnotic brainwave state. 
we download information rapidly. Our inner critic is the narrative of our family. And so if we grew up feeling invisible or not good enough, that becomes part of our download. That becomes that inner voice inside of our head that's motivating us throughout our lives. We're not traditionally taught metacognition, which is the ability to think about the way that you think. You go off into first grade and second grade and third grade and sixth grade, and you end up a love addict at 12, you know, addicted to boys looking for love in all the wrong places, not understanding why. Right. And I remember those girls, you know, that you, you're talking about. I wasn't about. that girl. <laughs> I, wasn't th- I wasn't that girl. And I thought there was something wrong with me because I wasn't boy crazy, quote unquote, boy crazy. I didn't understand, well, why am I not like that? All of my girlfriends are. And, you know, I thought I was a little weird because I wasn't boy crazy, but then mm-hmm. it just sort of happened. And, you know, right. then I became interested in boys. Right. I, but I think the important thing that we write right. that in terms of, of that the denial aspect is so real. I don't know who I am. I don't know how I was programmed to think the way that I think. I don't know that I should be observing what I'm observing. I just am on this on this journey on autopilot. And I think below the veil of consciousness and don't know that I'm operating out of a childhood program. And so I think what that's why so often we have to have this literal breakdown emotional breakdown to break down the denial that we're in and when all of our defenses are lost when it doesn't it for breakdown came when i could not people please enough to get my husband's affection okay yeah i want you if you could get into detail about that relationship to give it some, uh, some perspective that would be great well i was 21 when i met him and he was 23 and he was very good looking and you know he was nice to me and it was time to move out. I got this sense that parents wanted me out. There was no sense of stay or travel or figure out who you are. Or go live by yourself. We'll help you become an individual, develop autonomy. It was like, no, you're old enough to get out. So very immature. But at that age, I felt like, well, okay, I guess I'm old enough to get married. Really no life skills whatsoever. No guidance. Me either. Whatsoever. I was married at 24. So yeah. I get it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I was married at 23, had my first child at 24, had no idea what the hell I was doing, Uh, married for 12 years, didn't know I was a codependent young woman, didn't know that I gave up my career, didn't know that I thought marriage and having children was supposed to be it, somehow it was supposed to fill me up, didn't know that I was doing what my mother taught me to do, just conditioned me to acquiesce and subjugate my needs for the sake of, didn't even know I was allowed to have a need. I I, I understand everything that you're saying. I was the same person. Go to college, meet a nice Jewish boy, get married. He will take care of you. Right. Who gives a shit about a career? You don't need, he's going to take care of you financially, your entire life, emotionally, Mm -hmm. financially. And you know, you want to put some lipstick on when he comes home from work. So you don't look so haggard with the kids and the dogs. And I, I remember going, that's weird. I'm not doing that. Right. But it's, it's go ahead. I'm, I can co- completely relate. Yeah. So I didn't even realize that I didn't have a sense of self, that my mother was conditioning, conditioning me not to have a self. Mm. My mother was conditioning me to take care of this man and to honor him and respect him and disrespect and disown myself. Like I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. I just kept trying to turn myself into a pretzel, trying to connect with him. And the more I tried to connect with him, the more he he felt like he needed to pull away. So why is that pull away? I had, I had a similar situation with my ex-husband. What is that pull away from that? Why does that other person pull away as we're giving and giving and giving? Well, I think there, I think we have to, really sifted out. Mm-hmm. I think there are some, if you're, if you're talking about two codependent people, usually there's one who's avoidant and one who's a pursuer. Right. So there is one who wants to be in a relationship, but fears engulfment. Okay. So I'll be in a relationship with you and I'm here, but I'm going to kind of get freaked out. If you, if you try to suffocate me too much, or you want too much for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not really comfortable with that level of intimacy, but that person doesn't want to hurt you. Mm -hmm. It's more of a defense mechanism. 
So I think that's a possibility. In my case, in my opinion, I'm not a doctor, but in my opinion, I believe I was dealing with someone who had a pervasive pattern of covert narcissism. So this was someone who was antagonistic. This was someone who deliberately withheld. This is someone who deliberately was passive aggressive. This is someone who deliberately gaslit me. I didn't say that. You're making that up. That's all in your head. You're a wacko. You're a flake. This is why nobody listens to you. This is why you always have problems with people. So then there was this, this I'm going to push away because I know you want me to talk to you. And because you need me and your vulnerableness moment is exactly I'm going to leave you when you most need me. So that's that's more on in this on the spectrum of narcissism than someone who is just uncomfortable with getting too close. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I believe that's that in my case, that's what that was I was dealing with. I have dealt with overt narcissists and covert narcissists. And the covert ones to me are the scariest ones of all because everyone thinks they're the good guy. And everybody is like, what what do you mean? Like this person's great. Like you have this great life. Like, what are you talking about? He's good looking. He works hard. He's this, he's that. And you're you're like, no. Right. And so in your opinion, what's the difference between that quote, that quote, covert and, and um, open right. narcissist. So a, a covert narcissist, narcissist is more in alignment with the vulnerable shy narcissist. So, and really interesting. So covert shy narcissist can turn it on and turn it off. So they might lure you in with their Boy Scout personality. And women do this too, by the way. It's not just men. And I was going to ask you about that. Do you find it more prevalent in men than women overall? Because it seems like it is from what I read, but I don't know. Yeah. Research suggests that it is, that it's it's um, more likely to manifest in men. Mm. Uh, but research, recent research is saying that women are exhibiting yeah. pervasive patterns of narcissism. Right. as well. Right. So I think, I think things are going to start level off women. Ha- we, we have to find the balance. I you agree. Know? We have to find the balance because talk femininity is not the answer either. No, it's you know? not. And I think, I think a lot of women went to the opposite end of the spectrum to prove that, that they weren't going to put up with any bullshit. And what it was is they, their narcissistic personality was coming out and they, this was their feminine power and it really wasn't. It was a lot of toxic femininity that wasn't girl, good to empower other women with. No, I think that the the, um, the hallmark is dominance. The hallmark is power. So anytime we are, any whether male or female, no matter who we are, when we're trying to exert dominance over someone else, we've we're in the narcissistic pool. So if I'm if I'm a truly empowered person, I don't have to dominate you. Right. I don't have to put anybody else down. I could just be myself and be in my power. Right. I don't even have to say this is feminine power. I could just be a person who is powerful in her own right on her own path. I don't need to do the comparison thing. So I think that's a, that's an important distinction. But in terms of a covert narcissist, a covert narcissist is someone who is very sensitive to criticism and they will see a slight even when it's not there. Mm. So you could have a covert narcissist, let's say for argument's sake, a man, you're married to a man and he comes home and he expects you to drool all over him or he expects you to really make a big deal out of him just because he's home and you're busy with the kids. He feels slighted. So a a shy, vulnerable narcissist is highly sensitive to to criticism. He will or she will see slights when they're not there and will really feel entitled to have you pay a lot of attention to them, affirm them and admire them. That's what they require. So if you're if you are not making them the center of your world, especially behind closed doors, even out in public. But when it's just the two of you, if your attention is not on this person, then they feel slighted. Now, really interesting, you could have the same person who behind closed doors is behaving badly, ignoring you, stonewalling, stonewalling you, punishing you, just not talking to you, blame shifting. And then in public, 
could act the complete opposite, could start fawning after your mom. Why? To triangulate you, to make it look like he's the one that's got it all together. And you've been gaslit. You feel unsettled. You have this dis-ease inside of you. It's apparent to everybody else. Who looks like the crazy person? The person who's emotionally upset because the inner reality isn't matching the outer reality. And you and the narcissist both both know what just happened. But you can't say anything because this person is such a performer and you know that the world is believing what he's portraying. So it makes you feel very isolated. And over time, it makes you doubt yourself. So someone who is a more overt narcissist is less concerned so much about maybe what your mother thinks, Hmm. less concerned. So it's going to be obvious that this person is an overt, grandiose narcissist. Right. Feel entitled, lacks empathy. So there's less consideration. They still mm-hmm. care, but they they would, I believe, in my opinion, like an overt narcissist is a little bit sneakier about it. Whereas a covert narcissist, it's a lot an overt narcissist, it's a lot more difficult to hide it. Right. That's that's what I've always thought. And I is the the biggest trait of a narcissist lack of empathy. I believe that the biggest trait across the board when it comes to narcissism is their need to to dominate and to have exert power over people. Okay. They do lack empathy. And because they lack empathy, it's so easy for them to exploit other people and exercise dominance or dominance or exert dominance. But when you're talking about a narcissist, this is someone who treats people who can do nothing for them very poorly. Whereas A healthier person is going to be more attentive. A um, a healthier person is going to tip a waitress or tip someone who's cleaning up the hotel room. But a narcissist will exert dominance over people specifically that can offer nothing for them. And they will fawn after people, after a celebrity, or they'll fawn after people who can do something for them. But when it comes to people who can do nothing for, for them, if they determine that you are below them, they will exert dominance over you. So how did you leave your narcissistic husband or you were codependent? You describe yourself as he was a covert narcissist, you realize, and you were there was codependency. Yeah, there was definitely codependent. At a minimum, we were a toxic couple. Right. At a minimum, I was codependent. Um, you know, I, 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 in my opinion, he had a lot of narcissistic traits. Like I said, I'm not a doctor and I feel uncomfortable even understand labeling him. But in my opinion, this was someone who lacked empathy. This was someone who was entitled. This is someone who is passive aggressive. This is someone who gaslit. This is someone who devalued. This is someone who you could not have a connection with. This is someone who pushed his own children away. This is someone who discarded his children when he finally found a significant other. So when you take all of those traits over over so many years, he fits in the category, in my opinion, of a covert vulnerable narcissist. So I wish that I I could say that I woke up one day fearlessly and said, this is it. But that's not what happened. I was having breakdowns after breakdowns after breakdowns. My mental health was declining because I had a mother who kept telling me that I was crazy. You made your bed, go lie in it, Lisa. Never even asked me why I was so unhappy. Never even asked me why I was depressed. Never even asked me why I was having severe panic attacks. Never even asked me why. You're just weak. You're just a weak woman. You don't appreciate what you have. Wow. Wow. Mine was a little similar, but my mom kept telling me to try harder. Jody, you're not trying hard hard enough. Mm -hmm. And my mom said something similar, like too bad, figure it out. When I would go to her and complain like this, or she would start Mm -hmm. blaming him and like, that doesn't help me. And so how do you go? I want to ask you this question before we move on to other topics, but something I'm curious about that we talked before we got on the air was the difference between a narcissist and an egomaniac, because I feel like people a throw the word narcissist around way too much and then I think they forget about the egomaniac. Mm-hmm. So what is so the I difference? Think that, I think that the important distinction is that everybody has, there is such a thing as healthy narcissism. The fact mm-hmm. that you and I have the confidence to come on here and create podcasts and 
tell the world what we think and what we feel, we have to have a certain level of healthy narcissism, meaning this is who I am. And I have fought to have this level of healthy narcissism. I'm sure you have too. Yes. So narcissism isn't a, a blanket term that we use and, and just assume that it's a bad word or it's a dirty word. There is such a thing as healthy narcissism. Then there's unhealthy narcissism where we might want to imagine someone who is very self-absorbed mm-hmm. and who doesn't realize how self-centered they are. They might be have a huge ego, might think very highly of themselves But if this person doesn't exhibit the other signs of narcissism, then we can't call them a narcissist per se. So an egomaniac might have a big ego, but they don't feel entitled to exploit you. So they're in love with themselves, but this person isn't going to exploit you, isn't going to gaslight you. This person might want a lot of attention, but this person doesn't, isn't malevolent. So this person isn't going to bump you off the ride or, or when, we're, when, you're at a, when you're at a wedding and you're giving the speech to your sister, he isn't going to stand up and give a speech to the, to the groom to take the highlight away from you. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a difference. So you can be in love with yourself, but also be able to share the space with other people mm-hmm. without being threatened by someone else. Mm-hmm. But a narcissist is threatened right. by the other person. Right. So how do you, if somebody's in a relationship right now and they're not, it's, they're not happy and they, they can't really figure out what is going on. Is it important to label themselves and label the other person in the relationship or what is the red flag? What should they be looking for if something doesn't feel right? Because it's a feeling you get it in your gut and then it starts playing games with your head. And then you go away from it and you ask your friends or you ask just this or you ask your therapist and then you come back to it because that gut feeling is always there. Mm-hmm. So how does somebody recognize that they're in an abusive, toxic relationship with possibly a narcissist or they're codependent? I know that's a lot of questions right there. I think that, you know, I think one of the things that I've walked away with and I try to drive home with my clients is, are you happy? Mm-hmm. Do you feel safe? Do you feel protected? Do you feel nurtured? Do you feel like you can be vulnerable with this person? Does this person feel like a soft, comfy couch or does it feel like a cactus? When you talk to this person, does it feel like you're breathing fiberglass or does it feel like you're at the beach and everything's expressive and it's okay to just be yourself? Do you feel like it's safe to be vulnerable? Do you feel like you're chasing love? Because the problem that a lot of people have is that they're, if they're codependent, they have an insecure attachment. They were never securely attached to the primary care- caretaker. They may have had a dismissive, aloof parent who didn't even know that they were dismissive and aloof, who didn't even know they weren't attuning themselves to their children. I've heard you talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about parents who are indifferent, mm-hmm. um, emotionally immature, mm-hmm. aloof, alcoholic, narcissist, mm-hmm. insecure par- parents. Mm-hmm. So as children, we don't recognize that those those qualities in our parents were just, as you said, going along in life and just thinking like everything is normal because we don't think about those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 your brain is being downloaded because your brain has right. natural organic default settings for pain versus pleasure mm-hmm. and fear versus safety, trust versus mistrust. So our brains all work the same. When we when we incarnate them planet earth, we know when our parents are attuned to us and when they're not, we know when we feel loved and we don't, we don't feel love. We know when there's stress and when there's peace, we know that. And our brains wire accordingly to the external stimuli from the environment. And so if parents are emotionally, and let's face, I have a four month old granddaughter. It, it is not easy. Congratulations. I'm I'm calming down her mother, like constantly, like just relax. This is normal. Mm. Her brain is a firecracker factory right wow, now. She's great. Like, she should be so grateful yeah. to have you. Well, I just want her to understand, like, don't take it personally. All this crying, her yeah. brain is just trying to figure it out. The most important thing you can do is shush her and let her know she's not alone. Absolutely. Make her feel safe. So our we're infants are of infinitely more wiser than we really think. So the brain is programmed to know whether or not this is this is a safe place or it's an antagonistic place. My brain has to wire accordingly. So 
I believe my mother said it all the time. You did nothing but cry. And I think <laughs> you were 19 years old, the adult child of an alcoholic, married my narcissistic father, who was a gambler, um, left you home alone. Your father died when you were five months pregnant with me. You had two alcoholic brothers. Like wow. what emotional state were you in when you gave birth to me? Of course I was crying. Right. Right. And you know, it's funny because when I think about when I had my two daughters, one is 29 and one is 33 and the 29 year old, you know, I had it 28. I mean, the 33 year old I had at 28 and we didn't know what we were doing. And my ex-husband was a CPA and going to law school Mm part-time. And so, and my daughter cried all the time for three months. Mm -hmm. She cried. Yeah. Now two miscarriages later and for almost four years later, I have my little one who's now 29, Mm -hmm. never cried, learned how to play in her room by herself, was not needy. Mm -hmm. Um, it it was because, and I explained that to them, it's because of who I was and your dad was at the time. There was chaos in our house with the first one. He was trying to make money. I had stopped working, you know, he's going to law school. And then with the little one, we had kind of figured it out a little bit more, you know, I was probably more as the mom. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you could speak of this yourself. I was more mature. I understood who I was more. I knew how this baby needed to be nurtured. Not that I didn't nurture the first one, but you nurture differently, right? Well, you have wisdom. Right. Right. Exactly. You don't know how to drive this car. You've never driven this car before. (laughs) Right. What is Are you... So you're the firstborn in your family, right? So am I. So they really screw up on the firstborn, you know? We all do to a certain degree. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... um, the difference between, so when you left after 12 years of marriage, did you do a lot of work on yourself? What happened after that? You had children. What was your life like? How did you repair yourself? Well, I was, I left because I was afraid I was going to die because I had migraine headaches. I had asthma. I developed late onset asthma. I had rashes that were happening. I was tested for cancer. I was tested for lupus. I was tested for MF. They just kept telling me there's nothing wrong with you. And I was part, a symptom of abuse is not knowing how sick you are. Mm. And I drove myself to the doctor's office and I could tell that the, I was sick by how the nurses mm. responded to me. And the doctor, they ushered me in the back, put me on a gurney, slapped, slapped an oxygen mask on me, started with an IV of uh, prednisone, um, steroids and B12 shots. And I was just like, what is happening? And the doctor said, if you fell asleep, you'd die. And I said, what? He said, if you fell asleep, you'd die. That's how bad your asthma is. And I thought, what is happening right now? So he said, you better listen to your body because your body is listening to you. Um, And he, he, I didn't like him very much, but it was an authority figure who gave me permission to look within. I'm allowed to look within because my mother kept telling me every time I went to her, you're crazy. You have no right to feel this way. Go figure it out. Right. Like you, you're not trying hard. It has to be you. Look how you live. So I was trying to get this out, but everywhere I went, I was told I shouldn't feel the way I felt. So I was pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And when he said, you better listen to your body because your body is listening to you. I was like, I know where this is coming from. Wow. So I went home and I, and I told my ex-husband, we have to figure this out. Like, I'm getting sick because I am not allowed to express this. Yeah. And he left. Right, a- yes. Right. You need a therapist. You need another therapist. So out of desperation, I found another therapist who asked me about my childhood diagnosed with codependency and depression. So that really started my journey. And after I read the book, codependent, no more, it's like toothpaste out of the tube. I could mm-hmm. I could not stick this awareness back in again. I was a classic codependent from an alcoholic home and something needed to change. But I also thought it was exciting because I thought, I know what's wrong with us. I just have to stop taking care of you. Mm, and he looked at so- me like, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm not changing. I like the way things oh, are. Oh, right, right. They, my ex-husband lied about going to therapy. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so I said, I'm going to divorce you. Um, he threw up. And then he talked about how embarrassed he was going to be. And then he promised to go. to Right. It was all about him. Right. And then he said, uh, this is going to look really bad for me. Mm. And it was all about him. And I said, well, if you want to save the marriage, go to therapy and let's get, let's get healthy together. Mm -hmm. And then 
I realized he lied to me. And I'm like, okay, I filed divorce papers. I had to save myself yep. so I can be I can be a strong parent for my two daughters. I yep. brought them into this world not to have them have a fucked up life. Yeah. And um, so let's talk about codependency because I really want to do that. And I want you to also um, explain to the listeners how they can get help if they're in, in these relationships, but explain codependency. Cause I think that gets thrown around a lot also. Yeah. So codependency has been described as a lack of self and you don't know you, you don't have a self until you start asking questions. And most codependents are unaware that they're unaware. Most codependents right. don't even know that they are codependent. They're just living their life thinking, doesn't everybody lose themselves in relationships? Doesn't everybody put their partner first? Doesn't everybody rush home before their husband gets home? Doesn't everybody give up their hobbies when they get inside a relationship? Doesn't everybody stop hanging out with their friends when they get a boyfriend? Doesn't everybody decide what career to have once they get married? Doesn't everybody give up their life when they finally find a relationship? Doesn't everybody, aren't we supposed to say we're sorry, even if we're not sorry, even if we didn't do anything wrong to save the relationship? Wow, you just described me in my, my exactly. last marriage. Yeah. So we, we are operating below the veil of consciousness under these premises with the false operating system, but we are not aware that it's an operating system that is defective. And then we, so we oftentimes we, well, I say you have to know how you feel. Yes. I didn't know how I felt. I just thought I'm doing something wrong. I'm not saying it in a way that he can hear it. And if I figure out a, what he needs and become it and mm -hmm. figure out how to express myself in a way that he can hear it, it's all going to fall into place. I'm not doing something right. I just have to reach him. Right. And so I lost myself and eventually became so diseased of body. I almost, I almost died. Right. And so codependency is described as a loss of self. Okay. Oftentimes my clients don't even know they're codependent until they think about their childhoods. When I say, did you ever feel seen? Mm. Did you ever feel heard? Were you allowed to express yourself as a child? Did you feel like an individual or did you feel like you had to be what your mother and father wanted you to be? Right. Firstborn pleaser. Right. Right. Did your parents allow you to, were you encouraged to try new things or did, did, were you praised when you did what they wanted you to do? And did you get the sense that, Oh, it wasn't good to not be who they wanted you to do be like, did you get the sense that, Oh, I have to be and think and feel what they want me to think and feel. Right. Right. So what were your parents relationship? Like, what was that like? What was your mom? Was your mom codependent? Did she have a life? And so when I start asking clients about their childhood, they're like, oh, no, I don't think I ever felt seen. Did you feel like you could talk to your mom about anything? Or were topics off the table? Were you hiding? Were you bulimic? Were you anorexic? Did you cut yourself? You know, were you promiscuous? Were you looking for love in all the wrong places? Did you lie? Did you, did you steal? Like, what, what were the secret things that you did that you hope nobody found out about? Because these are all manifestations of dis-ease, of not feeling love, not being able to be yourself. And that's how it manifests. It manifests in, in all different types of ways, depending on what you've been exposed to. So, so codependency is a lack of self. And you try to find yourself by being good enough. You don't feel good enough. And you try to be good enough for other people. So you become very, very astute in hypervigilance. You can read people very well. And so you tend to gravitate towards people who need to be fixed, people that have problems, and you hope that you can be useful enough for them to keep you around. I refer to myself as the fixer. Yeah, um, yeah until I don't want to do it anymore. And I don't want to do that anymore. It was an epiphany um, that I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like how many times do I need to be knocked over the head? Right. So there is help for people to change. They just have to become more self-aware, as you said, we're not aware until we're aware. That's right. And then once we become aware, then we need to find somebody who can, and we have to be open to that journey of delving back to our childhood because it does go back to our childhood. And it is a hard place to go back to sometimes and face things that maybe we didn't believe were true, but now as grown adults, we might see it. Am I right? Yeah. 
It's painful. You know, I wrote mm. the road back to me and I met my husband, Anthony, my second husband. He's like, what are you doing in your spare time? I said, oh, well, I wrote this book on codependency. And he's like, well, why didn't you publish it? I was like, my parents are still alive, you know? And he's like, isn't that codependent? And I was like, I think it is. It's very codependent of me. Worrying about what other people think about me, minimizing myself and being afraid of my truth. I think that is codependency, you know? Mm. Um, And then my, sadly, my sister's husband took his own life. Um, He was the adult child of alcoholic parents, grew up very similar. He was in a terribly dysfunctional relationship with my sister. And the minute I got a, got that news, it was like this lightning bolt in my head. Literally, I saw a light, a flash in my head. And I knew that the story was bigger than me and bigger than my parents. And that gave me the courage to take out my credit card and spend $8, almost $8,000 to get it published. Um, and the rest wow. is history. Wow. Yeah. yeah. First time author, I was a personal trainer at the time. I was just like, this story has to be told. Um, put it out on Amazon. It was an Amazon bestseller overnight. And the name of the book? The Road Back to Me. Yeah, I saw that. And um, that must have been a very brave thing to do, to write that book. I, You know, it's it's. I, I wish I could say that I felt brave because I was terrified. Um I felt like the book was almost writing itself. In other words, like, it's not just my story. It's your story. Mm -hmm. I write the story through the eyes of the inner child and everybody's inner child is the same. Everybody's inner child has the same needs. That's why I have an online coaching programs. People from all over the country, all over the world can take the class because our brain needed to feel safe. We had, we had an emotional development journey that we're supposed to, we're supposed to hit these milestones and we don't, we Mm -hmm. sort of turn out similar. Yes. So how do we help somebody who we see is in a toxic relationship either? I don't know if narcissism and codependency go together. Mm -hmm. It Um, does. does. Narcissists are very attracted to codependence because they don't have a self. So codependent narcissistic relationship is two people in one relationship focused on one person. Okay. So how does a loved one tell another loved one, somebody you love, doesn't have to be a relative, this, this isn't good for you. How do you, how do you say that with all the love in your heart? I think that, I think that someone who's in a toxic relationship is, is especially with a narcissist, they're suffering with such cognitive dissonance. They may have been gaslit so much that they don't trust their instincts they may have experienced so much blaming and so much shaming. They must, they may fear abandonment. They may have, ha- may have their loyalty questioned day in and day out. Trauma bond is when you feel like you can't get out where this person has sucked you in and you, they love bomb you. You feel completely infatuated by this person. And then they take that away. Right. The love bombing. Yeah. I hear about that a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's somebody who's just like, giving you things and showing you all this affection, they get you and then they take it all away. Is that what it is? It's like when a narcissist meets you, they mirror you. So they mirror your, they mirror your likes. So if you, if you love podcasting, they love podcasting. If you love authenticity, they love authenticity. If you love saving dogs from China, they love, Oh, I'm an animal lover too. So you think, wow, I've met my match. If you've had a troubled childhood, they have a, they understand it. You show them your boo-boo. Oh, that's terrible that people treated you like that. Like you deserve better. So they become your medic, your paramedic, your doctor, your therapist, everything. Mm. And you start to feel like this, I feel so seen. So the halo effect takes over where almost if, when you think about a halo, right? So if someone has a halo, you don't see what's behind them. Mm. So the halo, it's, it's a true psychological thing that happens to us. When we, we meet someone like this who's mirroring us, they have, we have the halo effect. We don't see the negative. We only see the halo. Right. And that's in, intentional um, by some narcissists, not always by all narcissists, but it's oftentimes intentional by some narcissists. And so now you're hooked. Right. And now once a narcissist knows that you're hooked, that's when they start to devalue you. That's when they start to question you. That's when they start to pull away the affirmation 
and the affection and the, they start to pull it away. And think about a dog. The, the more you withhold a treat from a dog, the better the dog behaves. So it's the withholding and you're looking for it. When am I going to get that treat? When am I going to get that treat? Oh, let me make sure his mashed, mashed potatoes have enough butter in it. Maybe then I'll get the treat. That didn't work. Maybe let me go turn down the bed. That, maybe I'll give him a massage. So you're always looking for that treat and they know it. So they're withholding. And so now if you're financially dependent on this person, this person's moved you across the country, you don't talk to your best friend anymore because he thought the best friend was trying to get you. You have no friends you know, he's threatened by your father. So you don't talk to your father anymore. You're isolated. That was the agenda. The agenda so now, was always to isolate you, right? Yeah, that's what I've power, that's what I was trying to say. Power and dominance. Power and dominance. Yeah. I mean, in my toxic relationships, I've never gone that far of allowing somebody because I just kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So now I don't put up with any bullshit at all. But I do find myself every once in a while, like, you know, yeah. checking myself, right? Yeah, and I, th- I think that's common that we we are aware now, so we do check ourselves. We have um, to always self awareness, and I think that someone who's in a toxic relationship that you can see it, you have yes. to respect that they're terrified. Okay, and if they have the trauma bond going on, then they actually feel like they're trapped, mm. and so they don't need us to lecture them. They don't need to feel right. judged. What. Well, what we do is we ask them like, you know, is, is this your idea of idea an ideal relationship? Like, do you feel loved? Like if I was in this relationship, would you want me to be in it? Yeah. So it's really, these are like life coaching questions. These open-ended questions that really forces a different part of the brain to work. Because when you attack my relationship, I go into defense mode. I hear the narcissist in my head tell me, Jody doesn't like me. Right. Now you're challenging my loyalty to the person that I'm dependent on. So the last thing you want to do is challenge this person's loyalty. What you want to do is just ask them, how do you feel? Like, is this, is this your idea of relationship? Like, is this what you always pictured your life was going to be like? Mm. Now you're not challenging them. You're just asking them to ask, to ask themselves how they really feel about this relationship. I think that's so helpful because I think when you do see a loved one struggling, you're not really sure. And you don't want to, if you've felt this way before, you know that you don't want to attack that person or at all right. make that person feel like you are judging or attacking them. So I love those open-ended questions and I could, they come from your heart, you know, yep. you love this person. Like, is this, is this what you want? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. question, the other questions that you asked are just really helpful. So thank you for sharing those. Mm-hmm. How do you know, how long does it take you to realize when you're dating somebody for everybody out there dating or newly married or newly in a, you know, a monogamous relationship? How do you know that it's healthy versus maybe a little toxic or getting more toxic? How do you recognize those signs? Like what's healthy? I I think what's healthy is you have to make sure that you're not making decisions that you're not fast tracking it. In other words, like the big deal, that I see happening in my groups and one-to-one is that people just assume that the relationship's supposed to work out or they assume because we're dating two weeks that we're going to get married. Mm. They rush, they make assumptions. Oh, he's a great guy. You only know him two weeks. You don't know if he's a great guy. So you must love the bachelor. <laughs> I don't even like I mean, it. Right. right Cause I, it's ridiculous. I, right. Yeah, for, for me, it'd be like, really, it's, it's so right, silly. Right unrealistic for tv right it's it's unrealistic and it's it's sort of upsetting that there are women that think this is the way it's supposed to be and men that think this is the way it's supposed to be and it's not relationships are serious stuff you know legally you get married the government recognizes you as this this is your business partner this is the person you spend taxes with this is a person you get in a car accident this is your next of kin this is your by default healthcare proxy person. This is the person that's going to be making all of your decisions for you. Right. Should you be unconscious somewhere? Yes. Like this, these relationship issues are serious. Right. This is the person that you may want to own a home with, have children with. Like, don't rush it. So I think that if we're someone who rushes it, we have to know that. 
If we're somebody who gives up, who changes ourselves, oh, I hope he likes it. I hope he likes it. No, interview him. Right. See if you like him. I agree. See if you like him. And if he doesn't, don't chase him. You know, my youngest daughter just went out. She met somebody. She went on a date with somebody. I happen to have been there when she met him. She was 40 minutes late for the date. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't have been, but whatever. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But she's that person. She said, mom, I need to interview him. And I loved because she hears me talking. Right. She knows that's what she needs to do. It's not about being the end all for him. Yeah. It's like, do you work for me? Mm-hmm. Not work, but right. does this relationship, is it good and healthy? Could it be? Right. You don't know on a first date, but could this be? Well, you could tell a lot in a first date, you know, if this person's flirting with the waitress, if this person can't make mm-hmm. eye contact if this person is dismissive, if this person doesn't ask you any questions about yourself, if you, um, one of the things that I tell my clients when we're coaching them around this type of an idea, as I said, just tell them how you feel. Like I had a rough day today. I'm a, I'm a kindergarten teacher and it was a rough day. That person doesn't follow it up with why. That's it. Done. Goodbye. Don't ever go on a date with them. Right. Right. I agree. There's no empathy. There's a lack of, there's, le- there's em- at least an empathy impairment. Like you drop the ball, right? right. So I'm not, you should, it, it shouldn't be where well, I had a rough day today. Oh, you want another drink? Oh no. I thank you for pointing that out. I yep. think that's really helpful to the men and the women out yep. there who are listening. Um, we have four minutes left and I, I want to ask you how you I have two questions for you. And I'd love to have you back on the show because we have so much more to get into, but gaslighting, could you give us a definition of what that is, what that means, what it feels like? I think a lot of people are confused. They think if someone intentionally tries to insult you, that's gaslighting. No, that's just aggressiveness. Gaslighting is when someone intentionally tries to mess with your reality. So you say, I put my car keys on the table, but your partner stuck them in your pocketbook because they want you to feel like you shouldn't trust yourself. So, yeah, I saw you. I saw you. I saw them on the table. Yeah, they were on the table. I don't know why you can't find them. They were on the table. This person isn't intentionally trying to mess with your reality or um, your partner says, I'll be there at nine. And the part your partner shows up at 10 and you say, you told me nine. I never said nine. This Mm. is this is why I can't talk to you. This is why I don't tell you anything because you screw up the plans. I told you I was going to be there at, at at 10. No, you told me at nine. So this is someone who's intentionally trying to mess with your reality. I didn't say that. You're making things up. You're too dramatic, blah, blah, blah. You're insecure. Wow. I'm not flirting. I'm not flirting. That's not, if you weren't insecure, then you wouldn't think that was flirting. I didn't kiss her. She kissed me. Wow. Wow. That's scary. That's scary that somebody could be that smart and do that to somebody. I can't even Automatically automatically they do it. It's a defense mechanism of theirs. You can't catch me. I can't take accountability. I have to make you think you're crazy. Wow. One of the things that you say, and we have three minutes left now, um, living below the veil of consciousness Mm -hmm. um, is, so the opposite of that and what you want to teach other people through your podcast and in your classes is the opposite of living below the veil of consciousness is what? Living above the veil of consciousness understanding metacognition, becoming the observer of what you observe, not reacting to it, mitigating strong emotions with logic and reason, focusing on what you can control, not on what you can't control, and always honoring yourself. I love that. And the last question I have for you, Lisa A. Romano, thank you so much for being on the show. What does it mean to you to live a fearlessly authentic life? I can be myself without the fear of you rejecting me. Even if you reject me, I can be myself. It's not going to destroy me if you reject me and I tell you who I am and I tell the world who I am. It's not going to destroy me. So living fearlessly, once you get over worrying about what people are going to think, worrying about whether or not they like you and you're just stepping in, hey, this is who I am. I hope you like it. And if you don't like it, that's okay too. I I wish you peace and light. You know, I'm not going to judge you for judging me. That's what it means to be me, to be fearlessly authentic. I get to be me in spite of you disliking me and I'm not going to fall apart that then I'm free to be myself because I have no attachments to what other people think. And I feel that that comes with um, experience, wisdom, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Growth. You have to know yeah. yourself. You have to go through all of these experiences where you're recognizing yourself, what your hangups are, and then you have to work them through. You, you cannot have attachments to things that you cannot control. And what someone else thinks about you cannot dominate your life. It cannot, it cannot be the driver of your ship. What you think and what you feel and what you believe in has to be the most important thing to you. And if you're honest with yourself, you will attract your tribe. You will attract the right person, but don't ever sell yourself out. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Best way for anybody to reach you. Uh, www.lisaaramano.com or they can hit me up on my YouTube channel. Um, just look up Lisa A. Romano, Breakthrough Life Coach, and they can find me. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so honored to meet you. And for everybody, until next time, go be fearless and go be authentic. Thanks, Amen. Lisa. Sure. Bye now. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code podcast to get 25% off. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.